Sorry. Also, I love I love Jeff Goldblum's picture in the like cast pictures where it's like everyone else is trying to look all serious, and we have Jeff. Yeah, Goldblum right. He's well, in, like a rainbow cat sweater. He is a little. <laughs> he is the kind of comedy equivalent of um, Nicolas Cage, right? Yeah. Like he's just he's gonna play a thing and yeah. he's gonna do it. Yeah. All right. Let's. Go hey, our, our crowd is small tonight, but uh, we are super stoked to be here. Uh, my name is Tyler Unsel. I'm Oren Gray. And welcome uh, to the Horror Pod Class. So. so uh, next slide for us, Andrew. Great. Those of you joining us for the first time tonight, uh, the program breaks down pretty simply. The first chapter or the first part, we are going to talk to you about what is uh, getting us excited, what uh, maybe we have just watched, and some things, some recommendations. Second, we'll approach our essential question, which is uh, a doozy of one tonight. (laughs) We will vaguely attempt to uh, answer it in um, hopefully an academic fashion. We won't, um, but we'll end up talking about uh, either how much we like the movie, um, and in particular, we will talk a lot about that tonight. And then finally, hey, welcome, welcome. Hey, we're coming back. And then finally, uh, we will give you our four corners at the end of the uh, end of the podcast. So if you liked other movies like this, uh, then you can hopefully get some other good recommendations. So as Oren's going to hand out for you some uh, raffle tickets, we have two really uh, pretty kick-ass gift packages tonight so hopefully if you win you'll get some really cool uh movies some pins and uh just the raddest looking ghost comics that i have ever seen probably from the 1960s uh, 70s, 70s? Probably, okay yeah. all right yeah it's pretty cool looking stuff so yeah i was very excited about this movie so i, I went all out i love it i love it all right so Oren, it's been a month since we talked to you last what are you excited about uh, so I've been, like, this entire month reading Man-Thing comics, also from the 70s. I got one of those big, over-a-thousand-page, like, hardcover omnibuses, and so I've been reading, like, an issue a day, um, and I'll still be reading them probably this time next month, because, like I said, it's, like, a thousand pages long. Um, but they're actually really good. Uh, I'm actually surprised. I was kind of expecting, like, you know, Bronze Age comics, you're kind of a crapshoot, but um, they're actually really good, and surprisingly, like... Topical for the modern day, which is a little depressing. Oh, what what um, do you what do you mean by that? Uh, like so, like there's like they're super woke. If they were if they were out now, like Republicans would be really mad about how woke <laughs> they like, are. What have they done to man thing? Right, yeah. like um, yeah. you know, there there's like there's like a storyline that's explicitly about toxic masculinity. There's wow. like a storyline that I just read that's about um, you know, like parents' rights groups trying to ban books in schools. Oh, like wow. I mean, yeah, it's, it's super, like, topical-seeming, which, again, is kind of depressing since it's from 1974. <laughs> that's, that's wild, but it also tells you how cyclical yeah. some of these issues may be. Um, and then just last night, I watched Attack of the Beast Creatures, which is... Uh, Agfa put it out. Yeah, um, love their stuff. And also a thing that uh, I know Andrew back here at Stray Cat, and we are big Agfa fans here. What is Agfa for those of uh, the American genre film archive? Archive. Yeah. Yes, sure. American genre film, something that starts with an A. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Attack of the Beast Creatures is this like regional uh, film from 1985. 
that's about a bunch of people who get shipwrecked on an island that's populated by... I, they're supposed to be, like, tiny people, probably kind of racist tiny people, actually. You can see from the picture. Um, they look like the Zuni fetish doll from yeah, yeah, yeah. Theology of Terror. I was like, oof. Uh, um, okay. But, like, uh, I think they're supposed to be alive. The movie treats them like they're supposed to be alive, but they're very clearly just dolls. And I kind of just wish it was about them landing on an island that was inexplicably populated by carnivorous dolls. Yeah, that's what it seems like. I'd see, I'd see that. I'd um, that. And it's, but it, it's, it's like, it's literally like eighty minutes of people wandering around in the woods and getting dolls thrown at them. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. All right. So we can, uh, <laughs> we could probably get a hold of that or stream it through. Uh, it's not streaming anywhere yet, but most yeah. of the Agfa stuff eventually shows up on Tubi. Yeah. Um, but you can get it on Blu-ray if you, you know, really, really want to buy. Yeah. Um, people get thrown dolls thrown at them for eighty minutes, which hey, I did. I mean, hey, there, there's probably a market for that. <laughs> so. Uh, I am that market. I chose to uh, talk about some film festivals coming up that tends to be my passion project and the thing that I get really jazzed about. Uh, the Overlook Film Festival is one of the largest genre film festivals in the country, and I would argue probably the funnest because it takes place in New Orleans. It's coming up next month. Um, they uh, just do unbelievable things. And this year, I am super stoked. They have a screening of The Tingler, right, which is uh, another film that Oren introduced me to. We'll be talking more about it later for another reason. But uh, they have the whole theater rigged for the same kind of, like, shock. And, like, I, I forget the term that they use it. Per, no, not percepto. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, in like full percepto, right? So I think it is percepto. Yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. Um, They have a number of kind of first run things that are coming up, but uh, it's matinee, which will be their Sunday screening, and then um, the Tingler that had me really, really excited. I'm I'm really bummed. I'm missing the Tingler. I wanted to go, but eh, maybe next year. Yeah, Yeah, you never know. And obviously, Kansas City's own Panic Fest is coming out next week. Uh, A wonderful genre film festival in its own. Uh, Strongly encourage you to check it out. At least uh, one of the things that I'm most excited about is our very own Jill. I'm going to call her Jill Six because I don't uh, pronounce her last name real great. Uh, She's a local filmmaker, does a tremendous job. You might have caught her last film called The Stylist. But she has a new one that she was the DP on, I believe, uh, called Black Mold that looks super, super awesome. Uh, I saw the new Scream. It's fine. Uh, Pretty much like the old Screams. Um, uh, The only thing I will say is Jenna Ortega is very much the new Scream Queen and I think wears that really well. Uh, My own 16-year-old gets real... Like, I took him to see that and he's not a big horror guy, but he's like, Jenna Ortega is in it. I'm going to be there. And she's great. So uh, it was a ton of fun. And finally, my segment is really long tonight. Uh, Second Sight is a boutique uh, DVD uh, group, and they do really, really fascinating, great stuff. And um, they have a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre coming out, and the newest one is uh, Romero's... Oh, man, I'm blanking on the name right off the top. Uh, is it Martin? Martin, okay, yes, yeah. the new I Martin. I someone was putting out Martin. I didn't remember yeah. if it was Second Sight or who, yeah. A ton of really, really interesting behind-the-scenes footage. They have a Romero uh, interview that I think is and the first time that you've like seen it. Right? Like it's UHD, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. completely brand new, uh, including interview with the guy that plays Martin, uh, a brief shout-out to this this own podcast back in the day about a year and a half ago we had the same guy on to talk about martin so uh he's really awesome uh, i strongly suggest you check out second sight's new stuff because yeah. it is 
fantastic. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it really is. All right. Our essential question tonight that we will attempt to answer in a generic academic fashion but probably will not be able to is will ayahuasca cause you to see ghosts or other dead things as the ghosts of Sierra Cobre hints at? Next. At the beginning of this segment, I always ask, "Why did you pick this thing, man? This is a this seems particularly niche for you." Yeah, like so, I hadn't even ever heard of this movie until about I don't know, like a year and a half ago. Someone mentioned it on Twitter, um, and they shared like I don't know two screen grabs from it or something. And you know, first of all, I love like 1960s ghost movies; they're like my favorite thing. Right. Yeah. Um, I, you know, anyone who listening knows this already because I talk about them all the goddamn time <laughs> on this on this show. Um, but like, whenever I find one that I've never seen, even I'm very excited. Let alone one I've never heard of. Um, and so I tracked it down. It was on Tubi, I think, actually yeah, yeah. when I when I heard about it. Um, and I watched it, and it was, you know, I blew me away. I loved it. Yeah, um, right. And. Uh, like at this point, it's rare enough to find one of these. Let alone again one I haven't seen. Let alone one that's good yeah. that I haven't seen. Because much as I love them, there's a lot of them that are not great. Uh, but this one was amazing, and so like I was very excited to to push it onto more people, which I've been doing sort of incessantly ever since then. <laughs> hence why, hence why all the folks came to watch it tonight. Right. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. And so uh, I inflicted because I have this this platform. I inflicted on everyone here. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I you know I love this kind of movie, and I think this is a particularly uh, stellar example of this kind of movie. Actually. Yeah. So it's one of the better ones. Well, um, and, and I will say, I will be the first one to admit, uh, so, like when we program out what shows we're going to do, right? I'm always like, I don't know, maybe we should do something from the '90s or 2000s. That's my wheelhouse, and you know, we tend to get other folks there. And Orin is always the one that keeps me honest. He's like, we got to talk about our roots and. Some of the time I really love it. Uh, some of the time I do not. I will say this movie in particular, the last 20 minutes of this film are just haunted mansion, unbelievable. Like I love the special effects. I think 
the the one thing that I think you tend to lean towards are movies that really showcase ambiance, rather atmosphere. And this movie's got so much atmosphere, especially that last thirty minutes. Oh, yeah. I just want to live there. That you know? negative effect ghost is so good. Like, yeah, it's, um, it truly is brilliant the, and the really number, interesting. The number of people I have gotten to watch this just by showing them one screenshot mm-hmm. of that ghost. Right. Um, you know, it, it sells itself at that point. So, um, Andrew, why don't uh, next slide yeah. and uh, oh yeah, that yeah ghost. that that one right the, the there, right? Question, right? He was like, uh, "We need to do the the ghosts of Sierra de Cobra," and I was like, "I have no clue what you're even talking about." And he sent me this one. He's like, "All right, I'm down. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah." yeah. That, that's how I tell people. I send them that picture. <laughs> yeah, and it is so good. It's um, so good. Well, talk to us a little bit about the movie um, so yeah, as you have it. No, no, yeah. you, you would. You were good. Okay. Yep. So yeah, um, so The Ghost of Sierra de Cobre was written, directed, and produced by um, Joseph Stefano, who is, he was the writer, the screenwriter for Psycho, the Alfred Hitchcock Psycho, um, which was obviously adapted from the Robert Block novel, but he wrote the screenplay. Um, and he also wrote this as originally a pitch for uh, a TV series. There were tons of these in the 60s and 70s, these like... Um, you know, high concept TV shows about like psychic investigators or you know various other things, um, and uh, you know this was a pitch for one of many failed pitches. Um, and there's an alternate cut if you have the Blu-ray that is about 50 minutes long. It's it's the episode length cut. Um, it's mostly the same th- stuff, just shorter. Like there's there's bits that are missing. The only big difference is that it has this much more TV friendly ending, like the. Uh, Vivian Mandor doesn't die. Okay. Um, the the mother still does the same way, but but the mother's ghost doesn't kill her. Uh, she and her her husband go off together at the end, and everyone's much happier. Yeah, than they it, are it is a bleak movie, ending. Which is, yeah, which is deeply tragic. Um, but I, I love the the idea that the lineage of TV shows, like that, focus on the kind of spirituality of things, right? Like at one point in time. At the beginning of this movie, uh, Dear Inspector, right, is like, well, I'm not really a medium. I'm a like a, a, a parapsychologist, or I'm right. a, you know whatever. And I love that there's like uh, a whole building maybe where all these kind of pseudos, you know, like that's right. a medium and that's a you know somebody that specializes in telekinesis or whatever. Yeah. But I think there is a straight line between this show, right, this failed show, and popular shows in the early aughts, especially like Medium or even Supernatural and that kind of stuff, that they're serialized, right? Yep. Like we love these stories, especially when we get them in like 50, 60 minute increments. Yeah. You know? And I mean, and the ones from the 60s are particularly interesting in some ways because they treat, uh, they treat paranormal investigation as a science yeah. in a way that we really don't anymore um, for various reasons and you know it was taken very seriously by like you had you know you had people like no I'm not a medium I'm a psychical researcher right and you know like I recently <laughs> read, like back up I, I recently yeah. read a book from like the 60s it was originally published in the 60s that's a guy who debunks like host ha- hoax hauntings like that's what he did yeah. for a living he was he was a, a member of like the society for psychical research or whatever and he went around and, and debunked you know places like Borley Rectory was one he worked on and like all these different cool. places where like oh this place is supposedly haunted he'd go ahead and explain how all the things happened and but like even though he was debunking things he took it all very seriously like it was he was he was like you know I'd love to see a real haunting that would be great um, one of the reasons I'm so thorough and in my skepticism is because I want to be wrong right I, like, I find want one. to find the yeah. real one but it has to be real yeah 
I love um, that. But you know, it just people took it really seriously, and 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 that is reflected in movies like this, which just makes the movie a very different beast. I yeah. think in its later iterations. There, there is no doubt that this is definitely more of a thriller, right? And it definitely has like that Hitchcockian influence, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. So talk to us some about that. So yeah, um, Hitchcock had no involvement in this film himself, but the lineage of him is heavily woven. Yeah, right, you feel it, right? Yeah, obviously, you know, Joseph Stefano had worked with him on Psycho, but also everyone in the movie had worked with Hitchcock. So like Martin Landau, who played Nelson Rames in North by Northwest. Uh, the lady who played Pauline had been in Rebecca, where she plays a very similar character, actually. Um, uh, Vivian Mandor was in Marnie. And so, like, um, you know, ev- everyone... And, and that was intentional, Joseph Stefano, because he had worked on Psycho. He knew he had a relationship with these people, and in order to help lend credibility, he cast people who had worked with Hitchcock who were associated already with... with very respected versions of this kind of film. Yeah. Um, and, and then also, uh, unrelated to Hitchcock, but Conrad Conrad Hall was the DP on this, who you know has since won a number of Academy Awards because he's one of the best DPs who ever lived. Yeah. Um. For sure. <laughs> well, and, and I, this is at its heart, it's a murder mystery, right? Like uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, and when we talk about spook blocking in a moment, we'll probably return to this conversation. But I think it's really important to set this movie in the appropriate genre, right? Like, it, it is a, I think there are a whole kind of subsections of haunted houses that are, like, vengeful ghosts, right? right. They're, like, they're not just like, ooh, I want to scare whatever. Right. They are here to serve a purpose, right. and they become almost morality plays, right? Yeah. Or something like that. And this feels very, uh, you know, my pension is for horror movies that could be very well stage plays, right? right. And, and this could be a stage oh, absolutely. play. I would, I would totally go see this thing, Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, and, you know, it has a real, relatively limited number of sets, even. Like, exactly. Because, because it was a TV movie. They yeah. They were setting it in a handful of locations so they could easily keep it under budget. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah. I, um, I, love, I love the... Uh, the the beach facade, right? Like uh, somebody either wanted to film in that particular location or give the idea of filming there. Right. And in something that I didn't pick up on real great the first few times I watched it, that the title reveal, right? That that gets mm-hmm. washed out by the waves. Oh, it's so good. So good, yeah. right? Where the 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 two transitions where it's um, a cemetery, then a city, and then the city gets washed away. So yeah, good. yeah, so good. It's, it is like the movie had me then. Like I, I started it and I was like, I'm in. Yeah, like five minutes in, like oh okay, yeah. I'll stay, I'll stick around um, for this. And speaking of the beach, before we get into the the murder mystery aspect, I did want to address a thing uh, that I know almost everyone asks, and I think I heard someone in the audience ask it earlier: is what is up with the blonde woman that he meets on the beach, and they have the conversation about haunted <laughs> house. I have no idea. Um, my initial assumption when I watched the movie the first time, because I knew that it had originally been a pilot for a TV show, was that she had been intended to be a recurring character that would appear in a later episode. That is my the guess. The problem with this is that she's not actually in the episode length cut. That scene's missing. Oh, wow. So that may have been why it was filmed initially, yeah. was to make her a recurring character, but she didn't make it into the episode length cut. She's not in there. So it's just random. It does feel very <laughs> random. But also, I'm like, I want to know more about this girl. Yeah, she's I mean, she's great. cute and perky. And I'm like, all right. Likes haunted okay, houses. Go. Right, right, yeah. right. Like, I like haunted houses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, do it. Any yeah. chance that that was just, like, a favor casting, like, hey, can be my movie for two minutes? Like, have you researched the actors? 
I have not, I mean, not successfully, no. I have I've looked into it a little bit, have not found any. Um, I'm sure somewhere there's someone who's like, oh, no, this was so-and-so, and she did it for this reason, but I haven't found it yet. Yeah. I mean, she's, a, a, she's clearly, I think, a starlet, right? Yeah. So she's she's being groomed maybe for something <laughs> larger, right, or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, talk to uh, Folk Horror in Reverse. This is, uh, this is probably a good time to... Uh, publicize that next month, right? Is no, it month after. Month after. So May. June, May? May. May. May is folk horror month here uh, at Stray Cat Theater. So if you like folk horror stuff, uh, I'm sure you'll be they're here gonna be, with They're going to be showing some really good stuff. Yeah. Um, and we will be doing folk horror that month, too. Yeah. We'll be doing uh, Cater Mouse in the Pit, and then maybe I will finally shut up about Another it. Another movie that Oren is like, you got to watch. And that's been since uh, we met yeah. four years ago, five <laughs> years ago. So... Okay, um, so explain to me folk horror in reverse. So, like, something I find really interesting about this movie on a number of levels is that, you know, it, it's a movie that has a lot of, like, things to say about uh, class, I guess. Sure, yeah. Um, that there's a lot of discussions about the wealth that Vivian Mandor has married into and how wasteful it is. Um, there's a lot of discussions about, you know, progress in quotation marks and whether progress is a good thing or not yeah. and who it benefits. Um, and I found it so powerful in the context of the trailer that we saw for the Sackler family, right? right. That documentary, it's like, man, I want to know how these people made their money initially. Yeah. And, and uh, not to step on your further yeah. explanation, but the the idea of colonization in the context of the setting is so interesting and so yeah. important. And and it, you know, it, it upsets it in a number of ways by having, you know, like Vivian Mandor be both insider and outsider where mm -hmm. she is the person from the impoverished background, but also you don't know this until after you've met her for some time as this very sophisticated, wealthy yep. person. Um, but yeah, and so the interesting thing for me, uh, watching and thinking about all that stuff, was that, um, especially in movies from the, the 60s, 50s, 60s, you get a lot of these like colonial guilt movies, essentially, right, right that are like, uh, you know, colonizers go into some place, uh, they arrogantly disbelieve the native superstitions, and then the native superstitions eat them in some way or another, right? right. Like mummies come yeah. back or whatever. They get right, the, sp the spirits come back and... All yeah. this stuff, you know, there's, there's a, a myriad examples. And this one's kind of that backward, where um, the the people from the the Sierra de Cobre, uh, at least at least Paul, the only ones we ever see, Pauline, right. Pauline and Vivia, uh, don't believe. Right. Like, Pauline emphatically doesn't mm -hmm. believe, um, is, is a pure materialist. Uh, and uses the credulity of everyone else to take advantage of them. She is she is preying on on uh, Mr. Mandor's belief in his mother's ghost yeah, right. to, Absolutely. to torment him. She was preying on the beliefs of the tourists to take their money. Like so it, it is it is the the arrogance. It's the the tourists' credulity and willingness to believe that the locals are superstitious yeah. and, and backward that allows her to do this stuff. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it, it's like, uh, look at these rubes, right? right. And then, uh, like, the rubes end up being real, right? Yeah. Or, or, yeah. or, like, what the rubes are worried of. Yeah. 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 
yeah, I think it, it's just it's just this very sort of odd, for, especially for the '60s, yeah. odd uh, sort of variation on that theme. Well, and I think that takes us really well into a discussion uh, about, yeah. So, <laughs> last episode, or actually two episodes ago, yeah. you coined a term called spook blocking, which I absolutely love. Uh, and my interpretation of your concept is essentially these movies are giant Scooby-Doo episodes. And uh, when you framed it in that way, I wanted to watch everything I could. So my question is, is this truly, using the kind of criteria that you laid out last time, is this uh, an example of a uh, movie that uses spook blocking? So first, is there a monster reveal a la Scooby-Doo, right? Is there a reveal at the end of this film? I mean... So yeah, what, like I guess the the easiest thing to do is to answer the the first question, the spook blocking question, which is yes and no. Like okay. it's it's both. Okay. Um, because yeah, there's a hoax, like there's a fake haunting and a real one. Yeah. Um, and like so, the fake haunting gets unveiled, right? It's Pauline. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Um, then there's also a real haunting, uh, that is like both echoing the fake haunting and wrapping around it, and so like each one feeds off the other. Yeah. Uh, which um, again, I'm skipping a couple of your points, but okay. uh, there's there's a whole subgenre, and again, I'm I'm a little bummed we don't really get these anymore very often. But there was a whole subgenre of movies that did this in again around late '50s, early '60s, and specifically Rob White and William Castle made like four or five of them. Uh, the Tingler is one. Right. Um, Thirteen Ghosts is one. That's what the picture there's from. Uh, to some extent, House on Haunted Hill is one. You can debate whether there's a real haunting in House on Haunted Hill, but um, the others there emphatically is. Uh, so on. Uh, yeah. And in all of them, um, there is both a real haunting and a crime that's using a fake haunting to hide itself. Nice. All right. Um, and usually the, the criminal doesn't believe in the real haunting. They're using it as a smoke screen, and then right. the real haunting bites them in the ass in right. some way. It becomes that morality play that we right. talked about. Yeah. Well, and, and, like, the bottom line is, I thought, I thought especially with Sierra de Cobre, we get that I would have got it away with it if it weren't for, you right. know, like, like this is, it, it, it is the mansion of Sierra de Cobre, right? Uh, like, uh, I don't remember if it's got an actual name, but the estate, right? Oh, the Mandor estate? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. other than the Mandor estate. Yeah. Like, it, it, it might as well be an amusement park that they're trying to, like, scare tourists away from so they can sell it or, you know, oh, whatever it may be, I mean, yeah, right? Pa- Pauline's, Pauline's ploy is emphatically a Scooby-Doo ploy, right? Right. Like, She's attempting to scare, in this case, the guy who owns the mansion out of it yeah, so that she can get the money he gets when he sells it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, like, I, I totally think that that is probably the perfect way to approach it, right? Yeah. I, it, the second part being, does it feature something? I, I don't want to put words, since it's your term, you tell me, you'd be like, hey, back off. But I think with these types of movies, atmosphere is so important, yeah. right? So... Is there an atmosphere of an old dark house? Which there absolutely is. Here. Sure. Right. On the yeah. inside. And I love that the outside of it is this ultra kind of modern, really sleek, oh, yeah. really cool. His like, house? Uh, Nelson Oran's house? Yeah, it's, right, it's right, weird right. that he's like this anti-modernist guy and he lives in this super modernist house. Yeah, yeah. It's um, which is very odd, but it's a very cool house. Oh, it's so cool, it's right? A very, it's a very comic book house. Yeah, yeah, right. I love the little kind of uh, twisted staircase up to the... Yeah. Yeah, I'd love and to his, wall, his wall of paintings, which you know are all from like his various past cases. Yeah, right. Be, which, it, again, makes me bummed that we never got this show. Right. It would, uh, maybe maybe they'll revisit. I yeah. don't know. 
Uh, and obviously an elaborate scheme that we discovered. Um, we didn't necessarily get a big chase scene, but like I think all the kind of business outside so with we, the We car. had a bunch of cars trying to fall off the cliff. Yeah, that counts. Yeah, right. Uh, good enough, right? <laughs> that, that chase scene might have been a little quicker than we thought, but you know, hey, I don't think it's too bad. Yeah. So, all right, next. All right, so <laughs> back to that essential question that we had at the beginning, right? Uh, I know a little tiny bit about ayahuasca from college, not not personally, <laughs> but uh, I, like I, I had a roommate that was really big into it, so I know a tiny bit. But before we get there, Oren, you've done some research. Tell us. I, I have no firsthand experience. I read like some articles about ayahuasca to to do this <laughs> to this episode, which is that way is, more than we usually do. Trying to answer the question. Right. So, like, hey. I, well, I realized that I like literally didn't know even what like they could have made it up. Right. For all I knew yeah. in the episode, and so I had to like look it up so I wasn't just either completely wrong or like inexplicably, you know, like it's apparently I could have easily been. It turns out like inexplicably disrespectful of other cultures or something. Oh yeah. it turns out it's used in like cultural practices that I yeah yeah. Still, it, 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 we'll we'll get there in just a bit, but yeah, um, it's still kind of used probably by Western. Uh, tourists, especially. In yeah, a apparently way. it got into. Uh, apparently, got really popular. Like. Not that long ago, um, which is weird. Like in the West, yeah, by Western tourists. Not that long ago, um, it was really popularized by um, oh, the dude that wrote uh, Michael Pollan. Um, he wrote a book uh, recently mm. about psychedelics, which is okay. really really interesting. But a giant chapter on ayahuasca, and okay. I think has popularized it in some communities. Um, but yeah, so the short answer to the question is, you know, probably not. I mean, <laughs> unless unless you're culturally primed to see ghosts, it yeah. probably won't make you. Yeah. Um, but like. Uh, it was interesting to me how, like, a, learning a bunch of stuff about it because I didn't know anything. It's apparently like a hallucinogenic tea uh -huh. um, that's used in a variety of like cultural uh, practices. Um, so ayahuasca, as I understand it, they brew it into a tea, but it's actually a compound of two different types of plants. One is really um, like really heavy with. Um, DMT, right? Whatever the natural mm -hmm. version of DMT is. And then they have to mix it with this other thing because your body breaks down DMT so much, you either have to take a ton of it, which is like, I don't know how people that, you know, like actually do that would have to take a lot of it. Or you have to take this other compound that forces your body to not break it down quite so quick. Okay. Uh, but it also makes you violently ill, right? It makes you really sick to your stomach. Uh, I think ayahuasca is the thing that... Uh, Oh, the Green Bay quarterback. I'm going to blank on his name, too. But uh, he's a um, kind of a douche canoe. But, like, he went on this big uh, rant and, like, spent a week in the dark and took a bunch of ayahuasca and, you know, Aaron did Rogers? whatever. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would not want to see Aaron Rodgers on ayahuasca. No, I barely <laughs> want to see him, you know, like on Sundays. Yeah, so... Uh, I'm it not sure I want to see anybody who's spent a week in just a dark room taking right. hallucinations. Probably doesn't turn out well. Right. But uh, almost to a, to a T, no pun intended. Uh, next slide, please. Um, people that take ayahuasca, and I found this kind of germane to tonight's movie, uh, often will say that they have these kind of cosmic encounters with uh, either their own ancestors, right? So we saw that in tonight's movie. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, they often will commune with uh, snakes that are entwined in a uh, double helix, right? And so we have these natives, this, this book I read when I was in college all about it, um, these folks that have no idea what DNA is, what DNA looks like, or any of that, right, will like have these super intense drawings of what 
a strand of DNA looks like. And they'll be like, nah, man, I was, I was talking to these guys. I was yeah. talking to these snakes, right? <laughs> and I was like, blew, it blew 21-year-old, you know, Tyler Unsel's brain in half. I was like, what is going on? I, I think what I've held on to that uh, or from that particular book is that idea of like, uh, maybe we're not haunted by our ghosts, but maybe we are haunted by some sort of like... Uh, past shared ancestral experience and yeah. I don't know it seems way more likely and equally as terrifying right yeah I'm, and you even in the movie you get that um, you know you get Nelson Orion's little speech about how we're haunted by basically society like yeah. um, we're haunted by you know alienation from our labor we're haunted by all this stuff that like again if we put it in a movie now they'd get mad about it but yeah um, here it is in 1969 or whatever this was. Yeah, but again, this movie is really way more progressive and anti-colonialist now than I think we uh, than we would be able to get away with right now. Yeah. Right? Or than we would expect from the 60s. Sure. I mean, all the 60s were the 60s. So, uh, hallucinogens and horror movies are a big deal, right? Andrew, next slide. Yes. Uh, here are just a handful of other ones. Um, I will tell you... Uh, We've mentioned the Tingler over yeah. and over again. Yeah. Uh, altered states. Uh, I will mention in just a bit. Uh, I I don't I don't know. <laughs> Almer. I think it's Elmer. Elmer. Yeah. Okay. So have you seen Brain Damage? I don't. I have not. So Brain Damage is a Frank Hindenlotter movie about a guy who gets a parasite that lives in his brain and it gives That's him this does. euphoric drug uh, that it injects into his brain okay. in exchange for him doing things for it. Nice. Okay. Um. And so I mean, it's it's red largely and has been, you know, the filmmakers have more or less said that it's, it's a, a, you, you know, a metaphor for, for drug addiction. Right. Um, and so I, I included it because the thing he injects is, is a hallucinogen, um, but also it was, like, otherwise it was just going to be LSD, like, six times. Right, right. Um, people people were real scared of LSD back uh, in the day. You know, and so I was trying to break up the LSD train a little bit by including uh, Elmer there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we have a field in England, which uh, probably will deserve its own episode. I'm <laughs> amazed we have not done an episode on that weird, bizarre I'd thing. i have to yet. watch it again then. That yeah. was good. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously Mandy, Mandy in LSD and then uh, Climax, which is one of those movies I put in the same position as like Requiem for uh, a Dream and like uh, movies that I think are really great, but I have zero interest in ever watching again in my life. Like aggressively turn the channel if I see it on. And it's a beautiful film, but it's super fucked up. Yeah, like so. with, with the exception of um, The Tangler, which I included because it was the first one. Yeah. Uh, I tried to like, because we had we had a, this much bigger list at one point. Right. We only had six slots and I tried to like only include things where the, the use of the hallucinogen was A, characters actually using a drug and B, germane to the plot. Like yeah. instead of just, because there's a ton of movies like I Eat Your Flesh and stuff where like people use LSD in the background. Yeah. Or whatever, but it's not, it's not driving the, the narrative. Yeah. Um, and so I tried to make them like major to the plot where I could. Like, Climax, literally, LSD is the entire plot. Yeah, it is It is the <laughs> driving force of all of the yeah, action yeah. in the film. Yeah. Um, and, and also it's the cause of all kinds of fucked up shit. Yeah. So, yeah, very good. All right. So, we have reached uh, the point in tonight. We're wrapping things up, and if you loved this movie, here are some recommendations for you uh, on... Other films that we think either encapsulate the themes or the ideas or um, maybe could help you explore some of the ideas of this movie better. What are your two picks? Um, so I, I refrain from doing any of the Rob White uh, William Castle movies, although any of them were great. 
Uh, instead, I did uh, The Snake Girl and the Silver-Haired Witch from 1968, which is a Japanese movie. It's an adaptation of a Katsuo Mezu uh, manga, which, again, regular listeners know I love Katsuo Mezu stuff. Uh, it was the first one, in fact, um, the first adaptation of his, of his stuff. Uh, but it, like this movie, is both a crime and a haunting. Like, both things are happening at once, and one of them is disguising the other. Um, and they're also black and white. They're also very aesthetically similar. And I discovered them both the same year. So nice. I think okay. of them. I think of them together. I like it. I like it. I don't. I don't suppose you know where you can find that movie. Uh, so Arrow released it on Blu-ray. Okay. I think it may also be on Tubi. Of I don't course. know. Of course, that's our go-to. Um, but if it's not TV. Arrow, Arrow has it on Blu-ray. Um, okay. So. And then the other one I picked is Dark Intruder from 1965, which at some point we're going to do an episode on, partly because it's less than an hour long. Yeah, all right, <laughs> all right. A tight 60 is uh, my cup of tea. Um, but it is also a, a pilot for a TV show that never happened. Nice. About a psychic investigator. Perfect. Um, from the 60s. This one stars Leslie Nielsen. I like it. Um, and uh, But is set in, like, the... Around the turn of the century, like Jack the Ripper just happened. Okay, all right. In the, in the show, so it's like a period piece. I like it. But, yeah, very good. Uh, all right, so I picked Altered States, uh, which was definitely for a long time my favorite film. But uh, the you know principal idea is a guy devolves essentially using hallucinogenic drugs. Uh, obviously, hallucinogens play a role in all of that. Um, but yeah, it's one of my favorites. And then I struggled for my second one. I ultimately picked Get Out. And I picked Get Out for a, a few reasons. Number one, it's got a completely psychotic, psychopathic mother-in-law, right? Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, uh, thematically that works. But I think some of the ideas of being uh, you know, forced into a situation where you either don't have a ton of body autonomy or you're surrounded by people that are pretending to include you when they most definitely are not... Um, there's a great kind of reveal in both films. So, yeah, and, and like, the bottom line is, listeners of the show know, uh, Get Out is one of my top five favorite films of all time. So, like... That's super good. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm always like, oh, yeah, that, that animated movie that has nothing to do with Get Out? Get Out would be a great movie to watch yeah. right after that. That'd be perfect or whatever. <laughs> so, any excuse to recommend a Jordan Peele film, uh, and I, I will be happy. So, all right, so next month, um, it'll be Thursday... 27th? The 27th? Uh, yeah, we're going to watch I, I Madman. Uh, yes. The original, not the... Uh, oh, I think they remade it with... Um, they definitely did not. Are you sure? I am 100% sure they never remade I Madman. Oh, all right, all right. I don't... Mm, I feel like... I'm, I might be thinking of something different. You definitely are. I have never seen this film. So it's going to be a trip. No uh, one will ever remake this film. <laughs> is this going to be one of these movies that I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to show any of this to a class ever? No, no, you could totally show this to a class. They just wouldn't know what was going on. But you okay. could show it to them. All right, all right. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so join us as we try to figure out what the hell's going on with iMadman. I am very much looking forward to whatever the hell essential question you come up with. <laughs> it's going to be, all right. Okay, I'll take it as a challenge. <laughs> Okay, so where, uh, next slide, yeah, where, where they, can they uh, find more of your stuff, Warren? Um, so I am, for the time being, Warren Gray on Letterboxd and Twitter and Facebook and all those places until they burn to the ground and fall into the ocean or whatever the hell they're going to do. Um, it's been 
a ride on the internet lately. <laughs> yeah, right, as, as it always has been, um, but particularly on Twitter it is. Yeah, uh, uh, and I'm at boringgray.com, which probably won't burn down. Yeah, so. uh-huh. that feels good. Uh, you can find me at Ty Unsel on Twitter, although I don't really actively use it anymore. It is a terrible place to hang out. Yeah. So I tag him there all the time. I know. I yeah. pop in and I retweet and I get the hell out. But you can still uh, get a hold of me there. Or if you're remotely interested in the project that is Signal Horizon, our main sponsor here, uh, we think genre programming deserves a place in every classroom. If you want to write for us, if you have something smart to, if you have a smart take about horror movies, you can reach me, Tyler, at SignalHorizon.com. We would love uh, for you to check out what we're doing there or be a part of our community. In the meantime, we have one last giveaway. Last four numbers are eight, seven, eight. Yeah. Yay! All right. All right. Amazing. You get my other ghost story collection and comic book and whatever title yeah. there is. There you go. Welcome, welcome. He got Ghostland. I realized oh, nice. that was yeah. thematically it's a good got one. A, got a ghost right in the name. It's got a ghost in the name. Literally no ghost in that movie. Yeah, but yeah. Nicolas Cage doing something because uh, that's all he does. <laughs> hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for coming tonight, and hopefully we'll see you next month. Yay! Yeah, for I'm Madman. Yay! Yay.